0: Hey, it's Mark here from ETF Tracker and welcome to the ETF Tracker Show. In today's episode, we're doing an interview with one of the experts. In this case, it's Peter Harper from BetaShares. He is uh, the co-head of distribution and head of capital markets. And BetaShares is one of the biggest providers of ETFs here in Australia. They've got over 60 ETFs and they've got one of the biggest funds under management books of all of the Australian providers here. So definitely make sure to check out this show. We'll talk about some of the BetaShares ETFs, a couple of mega trends, and a little bit about the history of Peter getting into the ETF market. So it's a good one. So make sure to check it out. All right, I'm here with uh, Peter Harper from BetaShares. Peter, thanks for being here. Thanks for having
1: me, Mark. It's great to be here. Really excited.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. Um, you know, it's, it's an exciting series of conversations with different people from the market. So I'm really keen to get your perspective on things. And why don't we just uh, yeah, get straight to some of the questions? Sure thing. All right. So the first one that I ask everyone is just a bit of background um, to get some context there. How did you move into the ETF industry? Uh, you know, when, when was that? And what was it that attracted you to ETFs to begin with?
1: Yeah, well, it sort of was around the end of 2010. Um, I was uh, involved in institutional equity broking. Um, and, yeah, we'd been through the GFC and we'd seen the recovery since March 2009 and was some way into that. Um, and uh, at that point, I started uh, hearing more about ETFs. And then out of the blue was... Um, tapped on the shoulder by, uh, by a, a newly founded firm in beta shares and, and to gauge my interest in the role. And you know, at the time I sort of thought these ETFs, you know, um, we don't try and match the market, we try and beat the market, you know? And so my, my initial um, thought was skepticism, but then I did a lot of research into it. And yeah, the more you think about it, we were there trying to pick whether you should be in NAB or CBA or BHP or Rio. And so often the professionals couldn't get it right. And I did more research on ETFs and just the diversification and ability to not have to pick one stock or another, but to be able to own them all and own an entire thematic um, became really interesting to me. And I I researched what was happening in ETFs and their growth offshore. And then when you bring it down to, to the basics, at the end of the day, the ETF is just a structure and the structure was a managed fund, but it could trade on the exchange. And I
0: thought,
1: hang on a second, you know, you could have ETFs not just over Australian shares and the Australian index, but, you know, international shares, sectors, currencies, commodities, thematics. And, and the idea of being able to have that diversification in one trade in so many different areas on the ASX, I thought, this is actually pretty cool. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I was lucky enough to, to get the job, I suppose, back in the day.
0: That's, that's that's brilliant. And it speaks to a lot of the benefits and advantages that people see um, in ETFs. Uh, you know, the first part that I ever saw about the market, the first exposure was single stocks. And it's so hard to just do that. And now a lot of people are seeing more around ETFs thanks to the work you guys and many others are doing. So, so that's really good. Um, what kind of clients at, at BetaShares, what kind, kind of... Um, Clients that you provide services to uh, over there. And can you give some examples of how investors might use um, beta shares ETFs and, you know, to build portfolios?
1: The truth is, Mark, I mean, it's pretty much every type of investor out there, but I'll give a few examples of how different ones might use ETFs. And one of the things we talk about a lot with ETFs is the democratization of investing. So ETFs have been that vehicle that's taken an institutional grade investment capacity and put it in the hands of a retail investor at low cost. So we definitely still have institutional clients, um, you know, large asset owners or superannuation funds, or even other fund managers who'll own ETFs either as a strategic core holding or sometimes for tactical purposes. But the real early adopters of ETFs um, in Australia were um, the retail investor. And initially that was through self-managed super funds um, yeah, you know, mums and dads managing their own retirement savings, um, wanting a, a, a way to diversify and simplify and lower the cost of their um, portfolio. So SMSFs were definitely the early adopters, you know, very closely followed by um, advisors um, who were using ETFs to build um, high quality and low cost portfolios for their underlying client base. Um, but the real um, change, I suppose, um, which has kicked off since COVID, has been the rise of the um, direct retail investor. And when I when I say that, I refer, you know, in many instances, to people making their first investment ever. Um, and we've seen that all around the world. And uh, you know, with things like um, yeah, high house prices in Australia, yeah, you know, home ownership is not viable for many um, many people. But they still have an aspiration to grow their wealth and, and save money, um, you know, maybe for that house, if ever they do get there in the future. Um, And so that's been the fastest growth part of the market of recent times. And it's just, it's just great to be able to deliver, you know, a really robust solution to, to so many different parts of the market.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's really um, a poignant kind of thing, because there were just recent articles and we, you know, you and I, because we've been in the space for a little bit, um, but you I'm sure you've definitely seen people, you know, looking at ways to kind of grow their wealth and with interest rates as low as they are um, and property kind of being out of reach. Like where else are they supposed to put it? Do they um, potentially gamble a little bit and try to pick stocks? It's it's a really difficult game. It's, it's a full time job. So, you know, it's it's good that you guys offer that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, well, they talk now about rent vesting, you know, people who'll be renting All for right. their entire life um, and will have to build their wealth, not through home ownership, but through their investment portfolio. And, you know, luckily, you know, ETFs with their versatility can be used for you know low cost core holdings um, and long term investing. Um, but, you know, it can also be traded in the shorter term, you know, if, if that's the, the, the mindset that the investor has or the view that they have.
0: Yeah, there's liquidity. Yeah, there. that's really good. Um, The next question was, uh, you know, just kind of talking to that, you know, someone that has been part of the ETF industry before it became really big. What were those early days in Australia kind of like? And did you expect the the ETF industry to get as popular as it has been? And, you know, do you, you, so kind of like before the present, and then do you see growth for the future as well?
1: Yeah, it's it's a really good one, because I do remember those early days. Um, I think they're forever etched or, or maybe a better word is scarred into, <laughs> into my memory. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, I'll be honest, it was a tough slog in those early days. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you'd go around and try and tell people about the ETF story and, and there wasn't a great deal of, of interest. And I sort of equated a little bit sometimes maybe to you know, Apple used to have the iPod before iPhones and, and so on. And yeah, that was a great product. You know, it was better than carting a CD player around in your pocket, but it never, you know, really hit the hit the heights because it was sort of new and innovative, but people never quite invested the time to understand it and get to know it. And it wasn't really until that became embedded in your in your phone that people all of a sudden, um, you know, you saw the mass adoption um, effect, I suppose. And and ETS were a little bit the same. I mean, I always had uh, an underlying view that if you're there delivering. You know, a, a democratized investment solution you know, that's providing better diversification, lower costs, great transparency, solid liquidity. You know, I always believed in my heart that they were going to come good and that they would reach um, reach that tipping point. But you know, it, it took a number of years to, for that to come to fruition. I mean, you know, to give you a, just a little anecdotal example, I mean, I think it took um, you know, somewhere in the range of around three years and three months for beta shares to raise its first billion dollars of, of assets. Um yeah, you know, which is quite a quite a time frame. Um and you know yeah. now you might see that sort of level of inflows um you know in five or six weeks um sort of thing. So the market itself's come a come a very long way. Um I think there's no doubt that ETFs are now mainstream.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: the 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 benefits that they offer have have, you know, just won investors over comprehensively and um Yeah, so for that reason, I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg in terms of um, future growth potential. I mean, a really interesting market to watch is actually Canada. Um, They've got a very similar um, population to Australia, very similar market um, and market environment. Um, And and if you look at the history of their market, you know, we've tended to track that quite closely, but a few years behind, you know, maybe five Mm. or so years behind. And the Canadian market is now sitting at around $340 billion of wow. ETF assets um, in Aussie dollar terms versus our market at just over $100 billion. So I think that certainly indicates that there's very, very strong growth potential in the ETF industry um, well into the future.
0: That's brilliant. And I mean, um, you know, there's very interesting things coming out of Canada. Like with, when we look at the history of uh, ETFs, um, you know, they very you know, early adopters there, as well as like with Bitcoin ETFs, which are those new kind of popular things that people seem to be talking about a lot over there. Bitcoin futures ETFs and now the the rage, um, and whether or not we'll get something here, and I know that uh, you guys are looking into that kind of stuff too. So hopefully, we see some of these innovations just come further, and it's going to keep us, you know, in the business of talking about ETFs. So I definitely um, have a vested interest in making sure that you know uh, ETFs continue to be quite popular. So I'm keen to see those uh, predictions kind of um, come to fruition. I'd love to see the market double here.
1: Mate, I've, I've got no doubt that we'll have plenty to talk about uh, well into yeah. the into the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so BetaShares provides a range of uh, ETFs, of different ETFs to investors across uh, various asset classes and you've got a mix between active and passive there. H- how do you think about that active versus uh, passive debate?
1: Look, I mean, um, I think what what I'll start saying is that um, we think that there's a place for both active and passive um, in portfolios. And we're unequivocal about that. We are not um, passive evangelists. Um, I mean, to to put the shoe on the other foot, so to speak, Mm. um, if you could reliably pick an active manager who is going to outperform the market on a consistent and ongoing basis, you'd be an idiot not to invest with them, right? Yeah. So you know there, there there has to be a place for um, active out there um, in the portfolio um, in our view and and you know we support that by offering a number of active strategies um, where they've demonstrated consistent um, track records of outperformance. Um, I think the challenge for investors comes back to the fact that the data is pretty damning of um, active management in general. Um, you know if you look at the long term around 75% of active managers underperform their benchmark net of fees and they're charging you a lot to do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're going to follow the the numbers and if you want the odds in your favour, um, you know, certainly the historical data suggests that, you know, you're going to get better performance in most instances and lower costs from from going a passive route. Um, but I sort of think about it in, in terms of, you know, you, you probably want to consider... Um, you know controlling the controllables in this case um, better probability of performance and lower cost in the core of your portfolio Um, but there are going to be areas where active management might um, provide um, you know a a particular advantage you know um, take maybe um, small cap managers or potentially emerging markets Um, you know these are hybrids you know these are some areas where active management has tended to add value in more opaque um, market environments and 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 that's um, you know where you know from my personal perspective I think about implementing um, or the appropriateness of implementing an active strategy.
0: No that's really good and I've definitely heard a lot more um, speak about that that it's not one or the other it's really contextual in, in terms of what you're looking to do and there are um, you know there are ways in which you can take advantage of the the benefits of both but um, yeah, definitely. It's, it's a really good and interesting debate, uh, but it often comes up in conversation, whether it's retail investors or just other people that might be looking at the ETF market. So it's good to get your thoughts on that. Really appreciate it. Um, the, the next one is back, back to beta shares. You guys have quite a large number of ETFs that you provide uh, to investors, about 60 plus from last count. And I'm sure there's always more. There was a period of time where I saw almost each month there was like a new um beta shares one earth and and cldd and so these are great innovations um kind of coming to market and how do you guys differentiate yourselves between what you offer and um other providers that's a question that comes up like you know what should i look at these etfs or another but how do you guys think about that between yourselves and other providers
1: well, look, the first thing I'll say is I think Aussie investors are very lucky to have um, you know a large number of high-quality ETF issuers to choose from in Australia. Um, you know whether whether it's us or our competitors, you know I think um, you know we're, we're we're blessed for for choice with high-quality um, ETF issuers in Australia. But if you were to ask me how we how we differentiate ourselves, um, I think it comes back to a, th- a few key areas. Yeah, you know, the first is that. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we built our name delivering solutions that were built for Aussie investors. We're an Australian-owned and managed business, um, and therefore our focus is on delivering for Australian investors. So from day dot, we pioneered structures like the domestically domiciled international ETF, which meant that investors didn't have to fill out W-8 Ben forms or worry yeah. about US estate tax implications. Why did we do that? because front of mind for us always was our Aussie client base because we're an Aussie business, right? Mm-hmm. Some of our competitors, um, you know, were basically taking their US product suites and trying to flog them into, into Australian investors and, and without thinking about some of those, um, you know, potential consequences that that might have. So our Aussie focused is our number one differentiation. Um, I think the other thing we've always been known for is the fact that we're very innovative um, not just in changing product structures, like I just identified, but mm-hmm. you know, we've done things um, like offering the lowest cost Aussie equity exposure um, in the market um, with A200 at seven bips. Um, yeah, that was pretty innovative, and at the yeah. time, you know, um, cut the fees by half on um, you know other other equivalent exposures in the market. Um, you know, I think uh, yeah, we've certainly um, looked at other areas like um, uh, some of the. Um, Asian technology or thematic investing and been right at the forefront of, uh, of those two. And I think you know, areas like um, ESG and ethical investing we've been at the forefront of. And so we've built a, a real name for innovation, nimbleness and, and, um, and the like there. Um, and I think finally, just the breadth of our product suite at the end of mm. the day, um, you know, we've got uh, over 64 ETFs out there now. It's the biggest suite in Australia. So Whatever you want, you can come to beta shares and find high quality product in that space. If you want low cost passive, we've got it. If you want to go to smart beta where, you know, you're still paying a low index cost, perhaps slightly more than market cap weighting, but with the ability to tilt towards value or quality or other factors, we've got it. If you want to go all the way through to active ETFs, we've got that too. And so that ability to be the one stop shop solution provider um, you know, really plays to, to that differentiation also.
0: That's brilliant. There's there's a lot of uh, value that you guys offer to market. And, you know, you mentioned just the, then, you know, the ESG type uh, ETFs. That's something that's close to my heart um, as I look into. And you, you've definitely got quite a few interesting ETFs. there. the biggest one in Australia with EPI um, at the moment in terms of funds under management. So it's good to see um, this kind of stuff. And, you know, just on that point, speaking of these new kinds of ETFs that, Are coming to market. What's that process like? How do you guys think about um, where did the ideas uh, come from to create new ETFs? Um, I think that'd be interesting. Like, do do you see what kind of trends are going on in the market? Are you guys constantly um, looking out for this? Is there like a dedicated team? Could you tell any anything about that process to the viewers?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, And and look, I mean, it's what you'd expect. Um, When you're developing an ETF, um, you're, you're trying to um, look at where there is either current or potential future demand and to plug those those gaps. And that's sort of the genesis of your thoughts. So if you think about where you might identify or how you might identify demand, um, don't underestimate you know, the, the number one spot we look to, which is feedback from our investor base. Um, we have um, direct retail investors emailing us ETF ideas and, and areas of interest on a, on a regular daily basis, right? We speak to advisors out there in the market who are saying, hey, guys, it would be great if we could access XYZ thematic. Um, you know, we speak to institutions who, who, you know, demonstrate those same sorts of interests to us. So you have, as an investor, have mm. a real capability to influence what goes into the market by demonstrating that demand to an issuer. And it's the number one thing we think about and focus on.
0: That's brilliant. I do that. So, sorry. Oh, go. Go, go, go
1: ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, in addition to that, you know, we're always, um, you know, thinking about what might be the next, um, the next uh, interesting area. Um, you know, whether that's ESG and changing social perceptions and environmental concerns, and reading that landscape um, in the in the marketplace. Um, you know, or, or whether it's, um, you know, looking at, uh, you know, what. Um, uh, uh, what what might be happening offshore, and seeing um, you know what's uh, what's gaining popularity over there? That's another thing we could um, look at. So you're really trying to predict where those areas are. And luckily for us, being a, a privately owned business, we're very nimble and able mm-hmm. to respond to those changing trends very quickly.
0: Yeah, that that must definitely help. I was just going to say that I didn't realise like I understood that you probably talk to different areas of the market and do you know some research looking at overseas. I'm seeing some interesting kind of trends there too. But I, I didn't realize how much you know influence the retail investor might have here. So if people have ideas and they want to see certain types of ETFs. They directly contact you guys about that.
1: They absolutely do, and wow. uh, everything gets looked at.
0: Okay, well, that's that's a good one to note. And if you're out there, guys, like make sure if you've got some good ideas, then then please do share them um, with the guys at Beta Shares. You know the uh, Equity Mates group, um, and I think you guys have done a couple of shows with them on getting started with ETFs. They had some competitions, and I'm sure there's been other types of these sorts of things. Like if you were to create an ETF with a name and what kinds of holdings it would have. So that's that's really good. I thought that that would just be a competition thing and you know not have any consequence, but it could have some direct kind of consequences. So that's really good.
1: And I, I think just to add one more thing there, if mm. I could Mark, um, you know, once you figure out those areas of demand, I suppose the process doesn't quite stop there. You do need mm-hmm. to, and, and this is really important, right? And investors should take this on board and look at every ETF they consider. Mm. You have to look at, is the exposure true to label?
0: Right? Yes. So if I
1: can give you a quick example. Yeah, at one point, we were looking at um, potentially launching a, a blockchain ETF. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, and I think it's uh, even floating around um, yeah, potentially in a PDS somewhere. Um, but you know, when we looked at that exposure and what was in it, the names in there were you know, off the top of my head, things like um, Google, microsoft asx i think even and you have to sit there and then say to yourself hang on is the performance of this blockchain etf going to be driven by the blockchain outcomes of microsoft at the moment Mm. or google no is it going to be driven by the asx's adoption of blockchain no there are other factors that are going to swamp that thematic in those um in terms of the exposure um you know that those companies give to to that and so you 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 wouldn't have had a true to label um experience and and to us that's paramount so you know we had to you know pull the pull the pin on that one just because we, we we couldn't hand on heart say that you know this is going to be driven by blockchain you know on the flip side you can look at mm-hmm. something like our robotics and ai exposure Um, And, you know, they're so true to label and pure play in terms of the hurdles that they set for a company to actually be included, that you can have absolute confidence that you're going to get what is on the tin. Right. And I think that's really important. And investors have to look at that. You can't just look at the name. ESG is a classic Mm. example. Yeah. Every second fund's called ESG now. Go have a look at what some of them are holding. Go under the bonnet. I challenge investors to do it. You'll find a lot of stuff in there that you don't like the look of in most of those exposures. Um, you know, because So it's important to, to look under the hood. And, and the very final point is, once you've decided on an exposure, you've got to make sure that it's rigorous, right? You can't have a situation where it doesn't contain um, liquid underlying components because we're talking about a market-traded investment here. Yeah, it has to um, be liquid and rigorous in its index construction.
0: Those are some very good points there to look at whenever, I think a lot of people get enamored with, oh, it does this, it's a cloud ETF or it's a robotics one, but really look under the hood and make sure that it does what you want it to, or that you believe in as part of your investment thesis, that you're saying that you're invested in this area. Are you really? So, very, very good points. So I'm sure that that's going to be a, a part of this that's going to be replayed over and over. Um, speaking of the, the, you know, the things to look forward to, uh, when we talked about, you know, a bit of the future about growth and whatnot, and the, the ways that you guys look at ETFs and potential for new ones, what do you see as some of the next trends in the ETF markets uh, globally or here in Australia? Um, not saying that you have to be tied to this, that we're all of a sudden expecting beta shares to be producing these types of ETFs, but just doesn't have to be types, but just even trends in general. Is there anything you want to add um, on that note?
1: Um, look, I'm going to express an opinion here. And, yeah, so sure. it's my opinion, not not beta shares. But Absolutely. You know, we're already seeing the growth of ESG and ethical investing, right? It's mm-hmm. it's You hear about it every day. In my opinion, we are um, at the tip of the iceberg there. In fact, I would not be surprised if in, you know, 10 years' time, um, you know, ethical investing is you know, the absolute norm and where the majority of assets go and non-ethical exposures start dwindling in, in popularity. Um, so I truly expect that to be a mega trend um, of the next decade or two, mm-hmm. uh, particularly as we push towards Paris um, 2050. You know, and, and, um, and, and so I, I have to pick that, in my opinion, as the number one um, investment trend over the next few years, even though it has already begun. Number two, I think you're going to see a strong rise in, um, uh, in thematic investing, you know, whether it's um, you know to, to just pick some out of the air, cyber security or cloud computing or Asian technology, those sorts of uh, robotics AI, those sorts of thematic based investments are growing hugely in popularity. And I think we'll continue to provide, ETFs are a great way for investors to access those thematics in a diversified, low cost way. Um, and I think that will grow um, very, very strongly. And the third one will be an interesting one. Mm. Um, I think active ETFs have a, a strong part to play. Um, I would say the growth of active ETFs has probably been more muted than most um, participants expected uh, year to date. There are a few exceptions to that, such as HBRD, the hybrids fund, that's you know well over a billion dollars, but by and large, um, it's been a little slower out of the blocks, but um, I really think that you will see more and more active managers begin to preference the ETF structure for the liquidity and transparency and, and, and simplicity that it offers to investors. Um, and as that occurs, I think um, you know, if and when that occurs, I think uh, you know, active ETFs will really start to, to find their heyday
0: that's really interesting on that last point because um, i think in the us just this first half of the or just a bit over the first half of the year they've had more active etfs being issued than passive ones for the first time and yeah it's it's going to be interesting seeing that kind of thing happen here we've seen a few closed ended funds turn to active and maybe some of the newer launches will just start off as active but um yeah it's certainly going to make more interesting um things for the for the active versus uh passive debate but like you said Um, both can fit in the portfolio. So those are some really interesting insights. Peter, thank you very, very much for your time. Um, If people are interested in uh, your insights and beta shares, where's the best place for them to take a look and get in touch?
1: Uh, Look, there's so many options, Mark. Um, I mean, obviously go to the website, Mm -hmm. www.betashares.com.au. That's the first place to start. From there, most people will often sign up to our newsletter, um, uh, which is a weekly newsletter. I mean, we're we're there publishing economic thoughts and insights. Um, you know, uh, looking at where flows are going. Um, you know, uh, doing white papers on new thematics. You know, there's a hell of a lot of information there. How to build a portfolio for a new investor? You know, it really is a great place to start. Um, there's a blog that's got a lot of information. Um, we publish a lot on social media, and of course, we're in the in the general press um, on a regular basis too, providing um, insights to investors. So. Yeah, we love hearing from, from the market and what, they, uh, what they're looking for and what they want. And you know, we, uh, we encourage them all to get in touch.
0: Perfect. Well, hopefully from this talk, um, it'll have sparked some ideas for um, some new things to be sent across to you guys. So hopefully that, <laughs> that can complete the circle there. But look, Peter, thanks very much for your time. We really appreciate your time and your views on this. And uh, we hope everyone finds it really valuable. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Mark, for your time and for organising everything. And, and most importantly, thanks to, to the listeners for the time that they've given up as well.
0: Perfect. All right. Take care. Cheers. Well, that was fantastic, and we thank Peter again for coming onto the show and sharing all of those uh, insights from seeing where the market has been and how he got started to even some of the mega trends that are likely to come out over here in Australia and also globally. If you're interested in more of these kinds of interviews, make sure to tune in each Wednesday as we have another ETF market expert and we'll ask them all sorts of questions. And even if you've got some things that you wanna see, Make sure to reach out to us and we can even add those in. So I'm Mark. This is the ETF Tracker Show. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. See you later.